Light is more important for far more than just vision. Correct lighting strengthens a horse's internal body rhythms and ensures they get maximum value from their nutrition, training and management so that they perform at their best. Equilume has scientifically developed two performance lighting solutions for your horse. The Equilume Light Mask is a mobile lighting solution that allows your horse to receive optimum daylight hours, whether they are kept outdoors, indoors or on the road to competition. The extended day length delivered as soft blue light keeps your horse in peak summer condition with a sleek summer coat, beautiful top line, summer mood and much more. The Equilume Stable Light is the newest innovation in lighting technology that replicates the benefits of nature's environmental lighting for the stabled horse. Equilume's scientifically developed blue light mimics the stimulatory light wavelengths of sunlight on a long summer's day. The timed blue light helps to strengthen the horse's circadian rhythms and ensure that every cell in the body functions optimally, keeping your horse healthy from the inside out. Equilume's revolutionary light products are known to positively influence muscle tone, coat, immunity, respiratory health, behaviour and much more. Head to www.equilume.com to learn how Equilume performance lighting will give your horse the competitive edge. Welcome to another episode of the Equestrian Hub podcast sponsored by Equilume. Today's guest, we've got a good friend of mine, Rihanna Burke. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Glad to be uh, finished work for the day. And uh, on the phone to you, gas bagging. Yes. Well, I wish I could say I was finished for the for the day, but as soon as we get off this, I will be back to running everything and doing all my admin online because I'm very far behind because we've had a few cancellations for our upcoming events. So I need to rearrange them all and email about a thousand people back. So we're getting there. Yeah, it sounds busy. You certainly wear a few different hats apart from hosting your own podcast when time permits. Uh, you know, you're the director of Hara Equine and you're also working with the committee of Equestriad. Uh, with their events and and so in that you host clinics and um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, more about what you do and and what Hara Equine is? Okay so um, funnily enough my primary business that I actually run is a actually a laundromat and a few years ago we we washed quite a lot of horse rugs for people and everything and we decided that we were going to run a cross-country clinic as a way to advertise the fact that we wash horse rugs and anyway I had so much fun and realized that there's such a need of more events being run and more days being run and everybody loved it because no one wants to organize clinics no one wants to organize days out and it came quite naturally to me so we made it up as a little as a bit of a side business so yeah so we run like cross-country clinics we've run a few jump uh, show jumping days where we've gotten coaches in and then um unfortunately a few events in our local area to the camden area have shut down so the jump club shut down uh, another property up the road shut down and they used to run events and um yeah so we've sort of fell into running jump club uh, where we, you know, do training days and everything. And the weekend just gone, we actually finally, a year and a half in the making, ran our very first competition day. So, yeah, it's all starting to come together. And But, yes, very many hats. <laughs> 
it's certainly a bit of work and as a coach i uh i i certainly don't relish run or organizing clinics and you know lining up people and times and taking bookings you know how do you how do you manage that and what are some of the you know annoying things about running running clinics or dealing with people or are there any recommendations you have for people to be considerate of uh for event organizers can i say and i have had a few instances where i have received horrible emails if we have had to cancel things and to be totally honest like as much as we do run our events as a business a lot of the committees and stuff that run things like equestrian for instance every single person on the committee for camden eventing they're just volunteers so the fact that i've had horrible emails i can only imagine and we've only ran for such a short amount of time i can only imagine the horrible emails that people have received when they're just volunteers so if things go wrong at an event like no matter how much you're pissed off as a rider or anyone like that or how much you felt like you've been had something done wrong by you just i think from a writer's perspective always just send back feedback in a really kind way because we need volunteers you need people to run events or you're going to have none to go to so you know i i sort of nip that sort of stuff straight in the bud and i just say look if you're going to have a horrible attitude like of things that we can't control like rain or weather or just you know grounds not being fixed in time after there has been weather events which is especially um been happening lately you know you just won't be invited back to our days so as like as harsh as that sounds you know nobody needs to deal with that no one needs horrible emails or people that are just venting because they're frustrated that events have been cancelled like you know as much as it's frustrating as a rider to have an event cancelled and sure you might lose some admin fees you know it's so hard you spend hours and hours and hours organizing to put together the events and you've spent hours on the phone organizing the grounds the coaches the equipment all the different things so it's heartbreaking for us when we have to cancel an event so i can only imagine double that heartbreak when it's a volunteer or a committee member and yeah. things like that so i guess that's probably one of the um, pet peeves is when everyone gets so, you know, I mean, I totally understand when people get angry or frustrated, but sometimes, you know, just diplomatically approach a committee and say, hey, you know, like, could we maybe try these? Or instead of just going, this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's right. Every, they're, they're, all, they're all trying their best. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and how dare they cancel because of the recent flood events, you know? yeah definitely so and so what got you what got you into horses in the beginning because uh you certainly uh you know you write you ride quite well you know you look like someone that you know has been riding for a number of years did you get into pony club as a kid or so it's funny that you say that actually because i never as a kid i never competed i never had I, I got my first pony, like I was super lucky. I actually, my first pony was for $1. I got super obsessed with horses and my parents said, absolutely, you're never getting a horse. Like we're not paying for a horse. I, my family, I have five kids in my family and they're like, we just don't have the money. Like there's no chance. So I went and got myself a job at the stables and, you know, I somehow wrote my parents into letting me take the horse that I bought for $1 because 
lucky for me, they didn't realise that the expensive part of owning a horse is the upkeep, not the purchase. Um, and yeah, they so thought bargain one dollar. Yep. So they thought they were like home clear. So yes, yeah, so they you, thought so you wrote you got your parents in on that. Yeah, so I totally roped them in and then, but, you know, having limited resources, it meant that I never got to have lessons, I never got to go to any events or anything like that. And um, I ended up having to sell that pony when I was doing my year 12, my HSC last year of school. Um, so really, I just kind of did like at the stables that I had the horse, I just did the in-house sort of pony club and things like that, but never really had much guidance. And, um, yeah, picked horses back up when I was a bit older. Um, got a rescue horse and wasn't even able to ride him for the first four years. And, you know, as you do when you're, you know, in your early 20s and you know everything. Um, so, yeah. What, so, did he, what was what was wrong? Was he, was he malnourished? Was he just a bit traumatised? You know, how did you get him to the point where you could ride him after four years? So he was, yeah, so he was super malnourished and he had terrible feet and it just took, you know, a lot of time going through different people that, you know, I think it's hard in the horse industry because when you don't really know much, you expect people that give you advice, to be honest. And I had a lot of people, you know, that maybe weren't doing the best job by him, like people looking after his feet and things like that. And then I think, you know, over time you finally learn who the right people are and people that give you better guidance and, um, yeah, so finally we got on top of his feet problems and, like, he's never going to be 100% sound. Um, but, sorry, I shouldn't say he's not sound, but he's never going to be 100%. Like, I can't jump him. He can do a bit of flat work and all that kind of stuff. But I um, I quickly realised once I did start riding him was um, the best investment that I could ever make in my riding is education. So every cent that I had, instead of spending it on, you know, fancy saddles or fancy gear, I always bought secondhand and I spent all my money on lessons. And um, so I feel like I have learned quite a lot quite quickly in the last couple of years because I've probably only been competing for about five years now. And still, you know, I'm mid-level, nothing fancy, but, yeah, we're getting there. And But I think a lot of that is as well to do with the fact that I haven't had a horse at this stage that can take me up the levels and everything like that so looking forward to the future because we're starting I'm starting to finally line myself up to you know have the horse to get me where I want to go eventually that's the old adage of uh you know most people need a, a one instead of a $35,000 horse they need $1,000 horse and 35000 in lessons 100% yeah I like, especially as a coach, I endorse that uh, suggestion very much. Yes. yes. Um, and so tell us a little bit about the, you, you moved on from, you, know, you didn't move on from the rescue horse, you know, but then you added to the string. Tell us about how your next couple horses and how you came across them. Okay, cool. Well, the next one, she was an off-the-track thoroughbred and my farrier that was actually finally getting, you know, going really well with my horse's feet and always looked after them. And he sort of became the person that I always said, so what do you think about this? You know, how do I go about this? Because he had so much horse knowledge and he was so, like, kind and and generous with his information. And, you know, I always knew that I could trust him and never had to stress about what he said was wrong um, because, you know, his own results with his own horses just proved that he knew what he was doing. And, 
he had an off-the-track thoroughbred that he had actually had as a racehorse back in the day and she was just sitting in a paddock and when I said to him, you know, I think I can't really do much more with Kobe, my rescue horse, he said, well, I've got a thoroughbred, you know, you can take her and just see how you go. And um, so I took her and, you know, she had issues and definitely a lot of um, skeletons in the closet from, I think, you know, you get a she gets a little bit stressy and things like that, which I think comes from racing. And, um, but she was awesome. She just, you know, she took me through the levels of eventing and we sort of got up to, um, we nearly got competing at one star, but we did a few hunter trials at one star and she was really fun. And then, um, yeah, so she was sort of the next horse after. And I think, um, I got really lucky with her because a lot of things that I see with people with their riding is they have their first horse that is just like an old reliable that helps them get all this like knowledge and they're so generous and kind to their riders and then they get the next horse but it's probably a horse that maybe is not the next it shouldn't be their next horse it should be like their third horse along they need an intermediate horse mm -hmm. so because you know i think once you're doing really well on your first horse you kind of go oh okay i'm ready for a really fancy horse and so she the off the track horse wasn't super fancy but she gave me heaps of confidence she challenged me she made me go she made me want to pull my hair out sometimes because she wasn't you know the fanciest thing or um anything like that but she taught me so much so yeah, so she was my second, like, horse as an adult, I should say. And, yes, I still have Kobe, the um, rescue horse. And um, But I ended up selling her. Um, but before I did sell her, I actually decided to make a little bit of an investment for my future. And I was super, super lucky in the middle of the drought a few years ago, I bought a two-year-old from Alice Cameron who runs the Oak Sport Horses. Um, and I was just in the right place at the right time. I got really lucky. He was obviously at a heavily discounted rate because they had lots of horses and not many people at the time were buying because of the drought. So I just, yeah, as I said, right place, right time. And I ended up with a two-year-old from there. And and I thought, because I actually, I rent a property where I've got paddocks, I thought, why not just buy something now that could be something really cool in the future and sort of, yeah, invested in him, bought him and then just waited until he was three and then I sent him to you to break in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I, I remember uh, thinking I was really good at my job when I was breaking Elf in, but really he's just like a Labrador in horse version um, and he's just very happy and very willing to please. And oh, so I wasn't actually doing that good a job. Yeah, he just, he's so funny. Um as a young horse, you know, he really is such a Labrador in a, in a horse's body. He, I remember one time that he did throw in a massive buck just because he was feeling fresh and he's a young horse and, you know, every now and then they have moments because they're not machines. And he just, I just remember him staring down at me on the floor going, why Why are you down there? What's, what's wrong with you? And I just hopped back on and off he went as total normal. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a pretty good attitude. It's hard. It's certainly hard to find uh, horses like that, but it sounds like you've got another one coming through the ranks as well. Oh, well, yes. So Elf is now five and I have had the funnest time on him, you know, getting him out to his first competitions and everything like that. So I thought, 
oh, why don't I try my luck and see how I go with another young horse? So then, you know, I will have a horse that's four years behind Elf. Um, so I, you know, I figured my formula worked really good buying a horse from the Oak Sport Horses. So I went and um, got another horse from them. Um, I bought him as a foal foot. His name is Cupid. And, um, yeah, currently he's a year and a bit old and he's just sitting in a paddock. And But... Um, Make sure you clear some time in your schedule for a few years because he'll be coming back, Charlie. I promise you that. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm just I'm just sad I don't live a bit closer and can steal the ride on Elf more often. Yes. Well, that's another thing. Um, as much as you can plan for your future all you want, um, I am actually pregnant now. So currently I'm not able to ride Elf, which is really frustrating because he finally has gotten to the age that you know, we can do a bit more, we can um, jump a bit higher, you know, all that sort of stuff because I'm obviously really cautious of his joints and don't want to wreck anything. And so we finally got to the fun age and, um, yeah, he's uh, not doing so much at the moment. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yes, very exciting. So I'll have a little one due in the middle of July and then, yeah, hopefully you get back to riding as soon as I can and just see how I go. 100%. Well, on that, um, you know, your partner always seems quite supportive. Have you got, have you got any uh, suggestions out there for horse people on, on how to uh, give their give your, give your partners or your husbands things to do while you're away horsing around or how to keep them entertained if they do come to the horse show? Well, see, it's funny, you know, because he really has nothing to do with the horses whatsoever. Um, so they're very much my thing. I mean, obviously, we live on the property with the horses. So he does, you know, he, he's really good. He does property maintenance and stuff. And um, when we first were, you know, when I first really got into comp competing and everything like that, he was always like, oh, are you going out again on the weekend? And um so anyway, so that used to always be a bit, a bit of a point of like, you know, tension there. And anyway, we managed to find him a really good job where he works weekend nights. So now he is asleep during the day on the weekends and would much prefer me to be out of the house. So there's a top tip. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I did. I, I know someone that they used to go doing dressage on the weekend and then send their partner off to go sailing. And I thought that's great. Just two very expensive time consuming hobbies. Yeah. Um, so they don't have to that's... worry about each other. Yes. Yes. But I don't think we could afford two expensive hobbies. Um, yeah. One's enough. <laughs> and tell us a little bit, a bit more about the, um, you know, rug cleaning business that because you must. I was, I was, I've only just bought some uh new washing machines or, or second hand washing machines lately, and I, I thought, far out, I really need some some big commercial ones. You must have some some decent sized washing machines going on there. Oh, yeah, some of them are huge. They, um, yeah, they're definitely not your home machines because, unfortunately, as a lot of people I can imagine have experienced, as soon as you put horse rugs in your home machines, they break down very quickly. Because um, unless you can find a really good quality old school machine, um, because they just don't build them to last anymore. I'm pretty sure the companies make them designed just to last the warranty period and then, oh, they're done. <laughs> Plan planned obsolescence. They're great at that. Yeah, 100%. You know, 
I always feel really old when I get excited seeing like a really big heavy duty washing machine. Yes. <laughs> like I could fit so many rugs in that. Yep. Well, that's like me when I drive around the country or something and I see a log on the ground, I go, oh, that'd make a really good cross country fence. Like it's funny where your brain goes to when you're a horse person. <laughs> oh, 100%. Have you, so tell us a little bit about the property that you're renting there. Is just you that is running the place or just have you got any other registers there? How does that show work? Have you got arena or what's the setup? So, well, I guess, yeah. So when we were, renting a like we were just in a little town home and then we had the horses out on adjustment um and then i funnily enough was just randomly looking on things for rent and i saw our place that we're in now pop up and it was just it's only five acres um but it had stables and an arena and um it was um it was about double what we were paying for rent at where we were at the time, but then also you had to add in the fact that I was also paying adjustment for two horses. Mm. And um, yeah, travel time. Yeah, and the difference really wasn't that much per week. And then, yeah, we actually do have a couple of horses that stay here, not many, but um, just a couple of close friends that keep their horses here and it keeps our costs down. And it really worked out well for us instead of pay, like living separate to them. And yeah, so that was sort of a good way into the being on property, just five acres to start. But I think um, most horse people will agree that as soon as you get land, it's never big enough. You always want more. 100%. Yeah, I know someone that's just, just they got one horse and they're looking at getting another horse. And, and I said, well, you know, when you got two horses and you take one away, the other one's going to get sad. So you're going to have to get three horses. Her husband was not happy for me to tell her that. Yeah, it's it's a vicious cycle, you know. You constantly, yeah. they constantly have to get more. It's it's definitely one of those hobbies. <laughs> it sounds like you're quite busy. Do you actually ever get any uh, time away from horses? I know you had a, you I think did you go to Vietnam recently? Was that a one-off, or do you try and plan little non-horsey holidays every now um, and then just so you don't totally burn out? Yeah, no, we. I definitely. I have quite a good balance. I mean, it's. As much as, you know, if you are going to rent a property and have horses there and all that sort of stuff, you know, you've got that commitment of saying, I have to feed mornings and I have to feed nights. And, you know, you've so you've always sort of got that commitment. But we're lucky. We've always had a friend that's like, oh, yeah, I'll stay at your house and I'll watch the property when you go away and everything like that. So we, um, yeah, we went to Vietnam in August last year and then not much before that because of COVID. Um, so, yeah. So was that is it a is a Vietnamese baby or? Uh no, it was just after. <laughs> it was just after. So um, and I'd been busy telling my husband that you know we should tr start trying soon because it may take us five years to conceive. You know because some people really do take a long time. And Absolutely. anyway, he currently thinks that I'm the world's biggest liar because it was the uh, first month we started trying. So. <laughs> it's um but it's good i feel like you know it's nice to have had it planned and um everyone always says you're never quite ready to have a child and i'm still freaking out but i feel like i'm as ready as i think i'll ever be so i'm guessing it was meant to be <laughs> oh 100 percent. no that's that's awesome what is uh, are there any other is there any advice, you know, that you've taken or anything you've thought about? Are you worried about your riding changing 
after motherhood, you know, some some people say that, you know, you do get a little bit more reserved uh, with things or um, you don't see that becoming a problem. It, it's a really good question, actually, because I'm my concerns weren't actually for after I've had the baby. Mine have been while I'm pregnant because it's um no one really tells you how emotionally like there is so much to take on when you're pregnant and then not mm -hmm. only that too but see I I me I'm a bit of a planner as soon as I started to as soon as I realized I was pregnant I set all my plans in motion and I thought oh I've got this down pat like everything is going to work perfect I was going to keep Elf in work so I was going to keep riding him doing flat work and my awesome show jump coach Emma Smith who's now, sorry, who just got married and she's now Emma, Emma Collins. Yes. Um, so she was going to keep him jumping. I was going to take him up there once or twice a week to her place. And so she was going to keep him jumping throughout the time. And um, and I just thought how awesome. She's such an amazing rider. Like it's such good education for him. And mm. then, um, yeah, so I thought it's all set. My plan's in motion. And then, um, yeah, I've had a few issues Um you know, joys of pregnancy, you never know what it throws at you. So I've actually had um, issues like in my hips and my pelvis. So I've been told I'm not allowed to ride anymore because I, yeah, I'm, they don't want me to end up bedridden. Um, so I was like, well, I can't really, I can't really take him up to make Emma jump him if he hasn't, if he's not fit enough, you know, it's just not fair to him. So yeah. Or to so, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Well, Actually, no, it's funny because she is very much of your um, of your mindset. She loves Elf as well and definitely thinks of him as a um, as a Labrador because he is the kind of horse you can pull him out after a week off and he's like, oh, okay, let's just get back to yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, that sort of foiled that plan. So I got back to the drawing board. Um, and I think that's the thing is like when life throws you curveballs, you just kind of have to learn to roll with it. And um, but one one piece of advice I will give to anybody listening is always make friends, make friends with everybody, put yourself out there, go and talk to everybody. I um I've plan number two is currently Elf is actually back in work again, um, and the reason that he's back in work again is because a few years ago I was at a dressage competition. And I was penciling for one of the judges and there was a rider that I just thought, wow, her horse looks awesome. So I just went up and I told her, I said, it's so nice to watch you ride. And ever since we've become like pretty like good friends and she even let me have lessons on her horse, which was doing quite a lot of the FEI movements. And um, she's trained quite a lot of horses to FEI level and currently she doesn't have a horse to ride. So she, now because I... Put myself out there i made friends with someone and i said i just simply gave her a compliment um now i have someone that's coming to my house three four days a week and training him so he's still in work and he's actually doing a lot more than what he would have been doing if i had been riding him. <laughs> well, that's good for him and I, a lot of people are quicker to give a uh, criticism than a than a compliment so i think that really goes a long way yeah, and I mean that's sort of along the lines of our like my podcast that I run, which is the Approachable Equestrian, because I, you know, I really do feel like so many people shut themselves off from so many good opportunities just because they don't either they don't put themselves out there or they, like you said, they're quicker to criticize and 
you know, I think in my head sometimes you go straight to the negative for things because it's your sort of your self-defence of if you're ever a little bit insecure of yourself or something. But sometimes if you actually put yourself out there and you just be friendly, like I look at people like you and I look at some of the other top riders and I just see friendly people that always have time for everybody at events and things and those people have given you so many opportunities in the past like if you didn't put yourself out there as a rider like I'm sure you wouldn't have had your USA stint and everything oh absolutely you know and even uh, when I first started teaching lessons I you know I got asked to uh, teach a clinic just because I was I was friendly to some people through like I wasn't trying to get anything from them but I was just friendly with them and I was 2021 and you know doing well eventing but I hadn't even given a single lesson and I got asked to go and teach this clinic and and my first lesson was five or six 10 year olds in a dressage lesson I've never been so out of depth in my (laughs) life in my life and uh anyway we um we survived and and no one fell off and I'm still I'm still friends with the kid from that first lesson uh so uh, and it's good but uh, i was gonna ask you about um on that on coaching you know like you're saying that you know you've had a lot of lessons and you you know now you organize clinics and then also just leading into the fact that a lot of the time you'd be you'd be writing you know on your own what is what are some things that you think make a good coach or or a good lesson and and then leading into talking about your writing at home what are some of those things that so those lessons or key takeaways that you really try and focus on when you are at home working with your horses um i think the most important thing if you're going to invest in lessons is be there to learn because especially running so many clinics and cross-country clinics and all the different things i sit there and i watch every single lesson play out and the people that get the most out of their lessons are people that actually, they don't go there just to have, you know, someone compliment their writing and say how good they are. Yeah, they, you know, there's so many people where they just clearly want to be told that they're doing really well and that's all they're there for. Whereas the writers that you can see get the most out of it, they go as students and they go, they almost have the attitude of like, I know nothing. So, yeah, I think that's the most important thing. And, but at the same time, as well you do have to know what works for you or what doesn't work for you because i've noticed some people struggle if they go to a different coach because the coach might pick up on something that might you know they might have already worked on that in the past with their other coach and um they all their writing falls apart because they just do what the coach says on the day whereas sometimes you know you nod and you smile and you say okay yep nope thank you i understand and then you don't do that again at home <laughs> if you know that it's not going to work for you yeah, yeah absolutely even sometimes you have to speak up and and you know tell the coach that that's that doesn't work or you know i i i have been told that and quite and sometimes i'll you know, try and find out a little bit more about why that certain thing didn't work for them or I'll quite often take their advice uh, and try and find a different solution because I've been the same. I've even have had lessons and I haven't uh, said, oh, no, that won't work. And um, then, it, you know, you have a bit of a problem and, you know, yeah, should have should have said something there. So it's definitely yeah. 
you got to be you got to really be open to ideas and willing to listen but also i think when someone says no that doesn't work or i don't want to do that they quite often say it in a very like confrontational way um you know they especially if you're in there in a lesson situation with a new coach you've got to make sure you're a little diplomatic in yes. in how you tell them something i think that's important so that you can both get on the same page yeah definitely advocating for yourself and for your horse as well like if you know something's out of your horse's capability obviously you're the only one that can speak for them so but yeah but um bringing it back to how i you know try to utilize my lessons and stuff at home i definitely think that um everybody falls victim to just going on autopilot and you know you trot your same warm-up and you can your same warm-up and you do your same exercises and stuff but i think as well like if you know that something like straightness is an issue for you in jumping like get creative go on youtube have a look at some grid work exercises that you could do to keep your horse straight while it's jumping or you know um there's so many things that you can look up and try to plan out your rides a bit as well and um i keep a whiteboard at home um i don't plan in advance but i will jot down when i've done flat work or i'll jot down when i do grid work or jumping so then that way i don't go oh, I've jumped five days this week because obviously that's not great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I make sure that I keep a balance of my riding and just, I don't know, I think going into your rides with, like, just being really thoughtful is important and go, oh, what have they told me to work on? So, yeah. Having a bit of an intention. Yes. Yeah. What Are, are there any uh, good quotes or, like, little sayings that you have when you're riding or things you need to use to pump yourself up maybe or yeah so when I got Elf back from the breakers well from you breaking him in um even though he came back super calm so happy like he doesn't have a nasty bone in his body I think I still had that fear in the back of my head of oh it's a young horse it's unpredictable I, I don't know what I'm gonna get and I think doubting myself a bit and sometimes I really did just have to say no, you have to get on anyway, because I obviously weighed up the risk and I want to go on with this horse and I want to, you know, make something of us as a team. And I knew that every day that I said, like that I decided like, oh, no, it's too hard. I'm too scared. I won't get on. I'll, um, I, yeah, I sort of forced myself to just get in the saddle. So I think sometimes you mm. have to have the attitude of like, okay, I've just got to do it until it's not scary anymore. Obviously not to the point that you're being unsafe, but yeah. Oh, mindset is so important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, you just recently, on top of all your um, clinic work, you started doing a little bit more work with the, the Equestriad Committee. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? Because I know uh, you just recently been involved in setting up a GoFundMe page for Equestriad, which is which has historically been one of the biggest events in the on the Australian eventing calendar. Yes. Um, so for the last few years, it's um, well prior to COVID and prior to the floods, I um, I always ended up having a horse that wasn't ready to go to Camden. So I always ended up um, volunteering to do jump judging for the cross country or penciling for the dressage. And so that's sort of how I got to know a lot of people on the committee. And again, just putting yourself out there. Um, and yeah, so, and with all the floods, you know, Camden eventing has lost so much 
They've lost so many cross-country fences. It's well over $100,000 of just things that they've lost off the ground. You know, every single pole on the show jump trailer floated away. Um, and if you've ridden at Camden and you've been there on the main arena, um, there's a two-story clubhouse that is, you know, front and centre. And I don't know if people realise, but four times last year, the water went halfway up the second-story window. So it's... um. Like it was so much more than I think anyone was ever expecting. So it's, um, yeah, the damage there was crazy. So council like has been doing a great job of like restoring the clubhouse and putting up, there's actually been all new fencing put around the main arena and things like that. So the grounds are starting to look the part, but now it just needs to have all the, you know, the cross country jumps that float away. Um, mm. So, yeah, so luckily they're, they have actually got jumps to start running events again, but now they just need to pay for them. So I, um, I was lucky enough to be invited to the last committee meeting to sort of, you know, because um, I'm joining the committee and everything like that. And, um, yeah, I suggested, I said, why don't we start a GoFundMe page? Um, and they said, oh, that would be amazing. Like hopefully people get on board. And, um yeah, really luckily, um, it's going pretty well so far, but we've also actually had an anon uh, we've also had an anonymous donation of ten thousand dollars put straight into the Equestriad's bank account. So on top of everything that we're raising, um, just on the GoFundMe page, like every single little bit counts because as I said, it's over a hundred thousand dollars worth of um equipment that's lost. So there's so much that needs to be replaced. It's um it's it's a pretty big task. And as I said earlier, every single person on that committee is a volunteer. No one no one makes anything from it. It's all just, you know, people that are so passionate about the sport, like people like Shane and Nikki Rose, who, you know, Shane an Olympian. Nikki has so many kids to look after and Shane. So many kids. <laughs> and she's got to manage <laughs> Shane as well. Like they have a lot on their plate, but the amount that they put into that place and everybody else on the committee, like, I just, I really wanted to help and do a bit more than, you know, I think a lot of people sort of have time to do. So, yeah, so that's why I got involved in the committee. And if anyone's listening and everything's like, oh, I'd love to be a part of the committee, just ask. Like, just, again, put yourself out there, reach out. And, you know, every bit, every time someone volunteers or something, it means that the events run. Yeah, it's, and like I mentioned, it's just, it's one of the biggest events. I was there one one year competing, and I think there was over seven hundred. There was like seven hundred and fifty entries, and oh, yeah. you know this endless sea of dressage arenas had to be set up. You know, and again, that's all volunteers, and like you said, Shane and Nikki, uh, so hardworking. Like I just, I just when well, I've been to Shane's place and several times, and I've seen how hard he works at home and then he runs off and he works there or you'll be in an event and he rocks up at 10 o'clock at night um banging yards in and there you know there are plenty of other people that work hard um yeah. that i won't be giving credit to but uh it's certainly impressive and it's always a good course you know the, the ground there is really good fences are awesome and yeah some i saw some footage of some massive massive cross-country jumps just being washed having been washed down the road down the river the some of them are just, just so powerful. Yeah, some of them are just gone. They're just they've floated off down to different properties, and there's no like no idea where they've gone. They just decided to go off and have another life. 
So you go and go and look at some properties downstream of Camden, and so you see who's rocked up with like a three-star apex in their front yard. Yep. Oh, who knows? Um, so yeah, and some of the properties, like there are actually some massive ones. I think in that sort of where the water would have gone. So they probably haven't even seen them. They're just stuck in a tree somewhere, or you know. Well, we'll definitely have to put a link to the GoFundMe page in the show notes because I know that's definitely an event I'd like to see keep running. It's, you know, crucial for, like, you know, the like Olympic riders like Shane and Stuart are competing there every time, let alone all the grassroots riders in the area, you know, around Sydney. There's no, besides SIAC, you know, there's no other big event within two hours of Sydney. Yeah, um, and I think, and it's so important that you mention that too, the grassroots riders, you know, they always do have the classes for the lower levels and they mm. always make everybody feel welcome. And I think that's the thing is like people don't realise, sometimes you do notice in the sport, you know, there can be a bit of elitism and people may feel like they're not, you know, on that level or things like that. But I remember my first event was actually at Camden and I remember getting back from the cross country and I dismounted my my horse, Kobe, and I was not prepared for how taxing a full cross country course was on my body. And my legs just gave out from underneath me and lo and behold, who comes running over but all the tinnies, Stuart Tinney, Karen Tinney, Gemma Tinney, and they picked me up off the ground. They're like, don't worry, it happens to everyone. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no, it doesn't, not to you. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, it is, it is so inviting and, it, and you know, who knows where our next Olympians are going to come from. It probably will be mm. people that are riding at Camden every year. That's right. Well, sounds like you got a lot on. Is there any other, besides having a baby and making sure Camden keeps the show on the road, have you got any other plans for 2023? Oh, honestly, I'd just love to get back out and be competing by the end of the year, but I'm not putting too much pressure on myself because I, I tend to do that. And um, and honestly, like, it's, you know, you don't have to be out competing every single weekend to, you know, be somebody. It's just, I like, I'm definitely not, I wouldn't say a professional horse person at all. I do it totally because I love it. And I just want to be better. I want to beat myself a little, like, I want to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. So hopefully... I, you know, I'm expecting that I'll probably start off a little bit worse for wear than when I stopped riding, but, you know, I'll just have fun for a while and see how I go and take the pressure off. And get back into it. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, let's face it. I still have the goal of getting a rug, like a class rug. <laughs> I want to get a class rug. I'll get one one day. So but I'll it, just it's going to happen. You, you just got to keep yourself in the best company and your horses in the worst. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully it'll happen. I mean, Elf definitely has the ability to get us there. He's already jumped the boundary fence when he was three years old in the pouring rain. So I'll never forget that. Didn't didn't get a scratch. And so, you know, I'm sure he's fit for eventing. <laughs> I've, I, the thing is, you've just got to move up the levels. The, more, the higher you go, the less people there are, the more chance of doing a Stephen Bradbury. That's what that's that's where I got a lot of my rugs, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. I just hopefully I have the comp, like the guts to keep going up the levels. Hopefully I don't get to two or three star and go, no, nah, it's too big, it's too scary. 
We'll see what happens when that little fairy dust gets sprinkled on you after after you give birth. Yes, because who knows how much more that'll change as well. So yeah, definitely, I'm sure it'll change my attitude to th towards things. But you know, worst comes to worst, Elf has the right personality. You know, if she wants to be a horse rider, at least I'll have the horses for her to get up levels. That's exactly right. Well, can't wait to see you back out there, Rihanna, and thanks again for coming on. No, no worries. It's been fun.